So as I reflected on this week's readings, I really wanted to find where's the good news in today's gospel. Of course, Jesus casts out a demon and he heals a deaf man. And that might be enough good news. But boy, the lesson begins with a woman getting some pretty rough treatment from Jesus. He calls her and her sick daughter dogs. In our current age of political spin, it's hard to imagine why the author of Mark included that part of the story, because it challenges our picture of Jesus as admirable and remarkable. Jesus didn't have a publicist. What he did have was a real life, real feelings, and in today's gospel, a real moment of conversion. His understanding of what he was called to do was changed and expanded because he listened to a Gentile woman's challenge. And from that moment, he moved forward and kept up his work of healing and feeding and teaching with an expanded awareness of who this good news is for. And because this story is in Mark, which focuses so much on the actions of Jesus, we're not really given any information about what he was thinking, only what he did and what he said. So there's no reflection on this incident. Jesus just picks up and keeps working tirelessly to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And it seems that the gospel, at least here in Mark, is a verb. In fact, it's several verbs. Teach, heal, listen, touch, feed, reach across boundaries, make God's love real in people's difficult lives. Now this is extraordinarily good news, that God wants us to be whole, and God demonstrates this wholeness in the life and work of Jesus of Nazareth. Further, God wants us all to be whole, whatever our circumstance. Jesus woke up to this reality when he was confronted by the Syrophoenician woman, and he never looked back. Now, the good news here has two sides. The first is that God's love is boundless, accessible by all, available to us in every challenge, in every moment of pain or difficulty. And the second is that we ourselves are called to enact the gospel, to remember and demonstrate that the gospel is a verb. Now, the letter of James is crystal clear on this point. Faith without works is dead. He was tired of people who claimed to follow Jesus behaving as though believing was enough. He had watched far too many people in need come to the Christian community only to be ignored in favor of the wealthy and the well-connected. James wanted his readers to remember the whole gospel, not just the believing part. Now, the church has spent an enormous amount of time and energy over the centuries arguing about belief. From the Council of Nicaea in 325 to the Protestant Reformation in the 15th century to the 20th century crises in church, confronted by world wars and social upheaval, even to today when we see a church torn apart by Christian nationalism. The church has struggled to define itself and understand what its core beliefs are. Some churches have taught that believing the wrong things can exclude people from God's salvation. Certain forms of fundamentalist Christianity teach that a notoriously evil person who claims faith in Jesus just before death will be saved while a good and kind person who has never accepted Jesus as his personal savior will be damned. Does that make sense? Well, on this, James is quite clear. 
Faith can only be seen in what we do, not what we say. The gospel is a verb. Episcopal teacher and theologian Verna Dozier put it this way, don't tell me what you believe, tell me what difference it makes that you believe. Don't tell me what you believe, tell me what difference it makes that you believe. Jesus, when confronted by a person who came from outside his comfort zone, did not go away to the hills to study the matter, he shifted right there on the spot and enlarged his understanding and did what she needed to him to do, and her daughter was healed. Where are we challenged to move ourselves from narrow perception to broad perception, to understand that God's love is for everyone and that we are the agents of that love? To be agents of God's love does not mean that we develop halos and saintly patience. It means to remember that the gospel is a verb, and to act accordingly. And verbs, of course, come in two categories, doing and being. We can't do our faith every minute of the day. We must also take time to be, to breathe, rest, pray, listen, to be still. Jesus did this regularly, despite an incredibly busy schedule. If all we do is run from action verb to action verb, the verbs will encounter will soon be collapse and die. A gospel life, the life to which we as followers of Jesus are called, will contain a lot of verbs. Pray, rejoice, encourage, offer, remember, imagine, love, share, embrace, give, rest, be. The verbs that aren't welcome, according to Jesus in the letter of James, are judge, reject, exclude, limit, Hoard, forget, despair. I'm a big lover of languages, and I know that when you learn a new language, it's always easiest and best to start with the present tense. When we learn the language of the gospel, it's also useful to begin right where we are and move forward. The imperfection of the past is, thank God, in the past. Today and tomorrow, we can make stronger, make better choices to embody the gospel and share God's love. Jesus is our example in this. After his confrontation with a woman in today's gospel, he learned from his mistake and moved on to the next person in need of his healing touch. Now there is an urgency to Jesus' movement in Mark's gospel. He is constantly on the move, relentlessly demonstrating the kingdom of God, he proclaims. It can be both exhilarating and exhausting to read and to imagine, and for those of us who follow Jesus, it sets a high bar. If we access, accept that the gospel is a verb, we might feel a relentless pressure to be doing something all the time, as Jesus appears to do in Mark. But we have to note that he takes time to renew himself through rest and prayer, as at the opening of today's gospel. The point is not constant, urgent action because that's exhausting. The point is an attitude of readiness and faithful response to situ the situations in which we find ourselves. And James puts it this way, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, 
is dead. And the flip side of faith without works is a muscular, life-changing faith, a self-offering, world-loving faith, faith that understands the gospel as verb and not noun. So let's look around. Where is the gospel needed right now? What incomplete sentences surround us and our community? Who is hungry? Who is lost? Who needs a helping hand? What verb are we being called for in our neighborhood? Almost certainly God is not calling us to argue theology or liturgical precision with our neighbors as much as many of us would like that. But God is calling us to serve them in Jesus' name. We've all been given gifts that we are capable of sharing, no matter who you are. We can teach someone to knit. We can cook a meal to be shared. We can fix a car. We can write a poem. You can lift heavy things or help someone to support a heavy burden. You can listen. You can offer the wisdom of your years or the energy of your youth. You can change your community. Many of you have enough of what it takes to change the world. All you must do is to decide that you, you, are a gospel verb. A verb called to let go of the past tense and move with God's help into God's future tense, into the reality that Jesus called the kingdom of God. Amen.